0: Church and study, here we go. I'd like for you to turn to Luke, chapter 22. Luke, chapter 22. And I'm gonna start at verse seven, and it reads as follows. Then, the then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you will say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them and they prepared the Passover. We're in a time period now with Jesus. We're at the end of his ministry. It's been three and a half years since when he started. It's a time of the Passover. This is when the lamb was killed. In Exodus, the blood was placed on the, the, the doorposts and the, and the podiums of the house as the angel passed over, recognizing the blood That lamb represented Jesus. And this particular day was the beginning of the Passover. So we read verse 14 and 15. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time on verses 14 and 15. But instead of starting with 14, because I'm going to come back to that, we're going to start with verse 15. As you heard, he says, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What is it? What needed to be fulfilled? we've heard this language before if we turn to matthew chapter 3 here is a story of jesus at the beginning of his ministry verse 13 it see it reads then jesus came from galilee to john at the jordan to be baptized by him and john tried to prevent him saying I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up, excuse me, immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am pleased." So we have these two particular times then where Jesus is talking about something that needs to be fulfilled. At the beginning of his ministry, and this was the beginning of his ministry when he was baptized, He says, he tells John, this must fulfill all righteousness. Three and a half years later, he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, this also must be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to spend a little time in understanding what's actually being fulfilled. And I'd like for you to turn to Daniel 9. In Daniel 9 verses 23, it really explains what Jesus is talking about. Daniel 9, 23, Daniel 9 is the prayer that Daniel gave. You see, he had been studying prophecy. There was a 70 year prophecy that Jeremiah had written. And Daniel was coming to the end of this time period. And it didn't appear like anything was happening. So Daniel turned and he just really agonized his heart to God. There had also been visions that he had received that he didn't really understand in chapter 8. So in verse 23, we pick this up. He says, at the beginning of your supplication. This, by the way, is Gabriel the angel coming to Daniel with the explanation at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. Twenty-four. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now we are trying to understand seventy weeks determined? In essence, the the angel was saying that this 70 weeks were determined or or the God's people would be put on probation. In order for us to understand 70 weeks, we have to understand the principle of a year and a day. So, of course, 70 weeks is 490, I'm sorry, 70 days I'm sorry, 70 weeks is 490 days. Seven days to a week, seven times 49. You get, uh, um, I know I'm blowing this, but you, you get 490 days. So a day is equivalent to a year. And so the angel Gabriel now was telling, was telling Daniel that your people, the Jews, have 490 years for a particular issue. Then he explains that issue. He says, to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in in everlasting righteousness, to seal up visions and prophecies, and to anoint the most holy. Well, let's look at these first four How was God's people going to do anything in regards to finishing transgression or making an end of sin or making reconciliation of iniquity or bringing in everlasting righteousness? God's people couldn't do that. But Jesus could. And so this time period was given to the Jews really to accept Jesus. It was that time period when Jesus was to come on Conosim. And so we continue to establish this. It says, now, know and therefore understand that from going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, I don't know why they did it that way. But at 69 weeks, 69 weeks, when you multiply it by seven, gives you 483 days and a day is a year. That's 483 and 83 years. The time that we've established from the restoring of Jerusalem was 457 BC. And if you add 483 years, it takes you to 27 AD. And that was a time when Jesus came to John and said, "I need to be baptized from you because it was when he was anointed." So it says. Verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. The middle of a seven day week is three and a half days. After three and a half days, after three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, he was crucified to the Jews looking forward to Jesus, the lambs, the goats, the pigeons, the bulls, all those things that represented Jesus ended when Jesus died on the cross. To us, looking back at the cross, we see the blood of Jesus and only his blood. So that's what he's talking about, this fulfillment, the night before the Passover was to start, Jesus now is meeting with his disciples. We're going to go back to Luke 22. 22. He's meeting with his disciples. And we're going to go back to um, verse 14, uh, 15, which we skipped over. And you remember what we read. It said, Here's Jesus talking to his disciples and he said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. When Jesus made this statement, if you just kind of look at his words, you read a level of intensity. With fervent desire. I want to eat with this dinner with you before I suffer. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's passionate. He's, he's bothered because he's right. He's hours before he was to be arrested and taken away. And so he makes this statement to his disciples, but it didn't have the right effect. They initially appeared to be with him, but then they weren't. There was something going on with the disciples. There was something that was hindering them from hearing the word of God. If we drop down to verse 24, it explains it says, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Can you imagine? Jesus is going to be crucified that night. You see, the Jews at that time had the principle that when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to set up this earthly kingdom. And then they were going to be elevated and they were going to rule the world. And everybody else would be their servant. But they would rule the world. This is not the first time this dispute has occurred. In Matthew 20. In Matthew 20. And I read to you. Verse 20. There was another time. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him. Kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her. What do you wish? And she said to him. Grant that. These two sons of mine may sit, one on the right hand, and the other on the left hand of your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, we are able. And he said, you will indeed drink my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared for by my Father. You see, the disciples were jealous of each other. They were fighting among each other because each and every one of them considered himself better than the others. I think I should be the greatest. I think I should sit next to you, Jesus. I mean, what what do you have? Look at me. Can you visualize this? Now, the urgency of the moment is lost on the fact that in a few hours, Jesus is gonna be taken away. And these men were responsible for taking the gospel to the world. They were to represent Jesus. He had already lost one of them already. One of them, if we look in chapter 22 again, verse one, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surname Ascarius, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money, so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. They feared, that is, the Jewish leaders feared the multitude. It said, Satan, had already come into Judas. He was already committed to to betraying the master. But not only this, Satan had had plotted the destruction of the disciples as well. And he had gotten them all riled up like, uh, thinking themselves better than the others. And can you visualize this scene? Jesus is passionate. He's so passionate. He's saying, he's saying, with fervent desire, I want to eat with you before I suffer. But they could not hear the message. They were preoccupied with themselves. This spirit is the same spirit of the devil. In Isaiah 14, it talks about what Satan wanted in heaven. In verse 13, he reads, or it says, For you, Satan, have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. On the further side of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This was Satan. He wanted, to be, he wanted to be higher than God, his creator. The spirit that the disciples brought to this last Passover was the equivalent of the same spirit that Satan had when he rebelled against God. And these were the men that we needed to take the gospel to the world. And it was the 11th hour. And Jesus didn't have another month or two to spend with them. This is a big, big problem. It says, this condition of the disciples then was compared to the sower of the seed. The parable of the sower of the seed. Because I don't have time to turn to it, I'm going to paraphrase it. Jesus is the sower. The seed which he is sowing is his word. Okay? He sows his seed out into the soil. There are different types of soil. There's the path around the field that people have walked on, carriages have moved on, the ground is packed hard and solid. Some of the seed that he threw out landed on the hard packed ground. Some of the seeds he threw out landed on land that had not been cultivated and it was full of rocks. And so these seeds fell among the rocks, but there was dirt. The seed, just like with the hard ground, couldn't penetrate the dirt to send its roots down to establish it. Some of the seeds fell among thorns. Though the root went down, when it came up, it was choked by the thorns. The thorns represents the cares of this world. Then some of the seeds fell on fertile ground. Ground that the rocks had been removed, that the weeds had been pulled out, that the hard pan rock or dirt had been broken up by the plow. It was cultivated, it was ready to receive the seed. So here are these disciples and they're full of rocks and they're full of weeds And they're full of hard ground. And Jesus just has hours. This is an emergency. This is a dilemma. There was a variety of different things that helped us put this scenario together. And what I'm talking about, these events that we're talking about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, And John gives us the gospel story. It's pretty close. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're pretty close in describing this happening. But none of them are complete. None of them give you the whole picture. So you almost have to go to each book to patch together what actually happened. So if you finish reading Luke, You're going to miss a part. So we know that the book of John has four chapters of the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples afterwards. After this happening. The book of John is the only book really that talks about the washing of the feet. It is the only book, then, that gives us an idea of what Jesus talked to disciples about that night. And the, the verses that it cover goes from 13, chapter 13, to chapter 17. Now, why am I focusing on this? This information that we have in these verses is the reason why we understand the workings of the Holy Spirit. This is the information that Jesus was giving to his disciples. And you know, it was only the 12 disciples. It was only them. So there was no one else but Jesus and his disciples. This information was just given to them. He starts off by talking about, I and the Father are one. We're one in thought, one in deed. But I want you to understand, I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave you. And so I just want you to know, before I go, that I'm not leaving you by yourself. I'm going to leave you a helper, a comforter. We have several places that he talks about that. We can look in... uh, Chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, it says, For if you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Several times during these chapters, Jesus informed his disciples that he was going away. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. But I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to leave you with a comforter. I'm going to leave you with a helper. And that's the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 19, and a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live and you live you, but you will live also. Verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, which the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now here's Jesus now offering his disciples peace. You know what happened when, when they arrested Jesus. What did they do? They scattered. They scattered. They ran during the hours while uh, Jesus was in the grave. They huddled together in a room and they were thinking, oh, we had hoped that he was the promised one. Oh no, I couldn't believe he was killed. There was no reason for them to say any of this. For during that time period, during that time period, when Jesus was talking to them, he told them, this is what's gonna happen. I, and he says, I tell you this so that you will know and believe. Very frustrating. He tells him, I am the vine. You are the, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not bear fruit. That doesn't fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 9. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch... And withered, and they gathered them together and burned. I meant to go to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branch. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. He talks about love. He says, this is my commandments." Verse 12, verse 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that one lays down his life for his friend. You are my friend you do, if you do what I command you to do. He talks about them loving each other. And then he goes through these next few chapters and explaining the workings of the Holy Spirit as it relates to salvation. And this is how we understand the workings of the Holy Spirit in us. That he dwells in us. He says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then he ends this time period with this prayer. And he starts this prayer confirming that he is God. Verse six, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you Before the world was. He goes on in his prayer and he prays for his disciples. He prays that they will be one. Let's see. He also, verse 11, he says, Now I I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. And in verse 20, he prays for everybody who would come after. That's you and me. It says, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through thy word, that they all may be one as your Father are, as, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. This is the information that Jesus wanted to give to his disciples. But they were not ready to receive it so now we're going back we're going back to John John chapter 13 and this is the setting this is the setting of them in the upper room the spirit of prophecy says is when they, when they entered the upper room the, the Judas rushed by rushed by all the other disciples because he wanted to To be next to Jesus. Because if there was a greater place, if there was a greater position, he was determined to have it. So Judas was on his left. John was on his right. The other disciples were sitting there. Jesus is reading their thoughts. And he has all this information to give them. He must give them to them or all the things that he has done in these three years are are for naught. As they had set up this, this dinner, this Passover, it's a feast, and customarily, customarily, they usually have a servant to wash the guests' feet. But they looked, and there was a towel, and there was a basin, there was water, but there was no servant. All the disciples knew what they should have done. One of them was to wash all of the, all of the feet. Poorly said, but you know what I mean. But they all act like they didn't notice. You know, they all sat like they didn't know what was to happen next. They were looking around. And Jesus is looking at them wondering, what are they going to do? And they're thinking, I- I'm not going to do this because I want to be one of the greatest. I want to be next to Jesus. So Jesus gets up. and he takes off his outer garment. The Bible says he girded his waist with a towel. He poured the water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. We're going to go back to Luke. Because we got to see how this pans out. It's pretty awesome. Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. It's only in John, sorry. I'm back in John. As he, as he, comes to Peter Peter says Master are you going to wash my feet you see all the disciples except one were totally convinced that Jesus was Lord they believed he was the son of God all of them believed that except one So when Jesus went to wash Peter's feet, he says, you will not wash my feet. You will not wash my feet. Now listen to the words of Jesus. He says, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter says, no, no, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, if you do not, if I do not wash you, you will have no part of me. Understand what Jesus was doing at this time. Yeah, everybody had dusty feet. That's a given. But it wasn't the feet that he was washing what was he doing he was washing their heart so Jesus kneels down and he washes his feet when he said you will have no part of me Peter said oh no no what about my hands and what about my head give me a total bath Peter I love him he was so emphatic but Jesus went from one disciple to the next, washing their feet. Each disciples that he washed, their heart broke. In essence, the power of God through his son was breaking up the hard ground in their hearts. You understand? So that they can hear his seed, which is the word of God. And as he washed each and every one of their feet, they broke. And when he got done, he says, You're all clean, but one. When he got done, Each disciple except Judas gave precedence to everybody else. They humbled their hearts. They became receptive to the word of God. Now let's read now. Um, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher, some versions say master and Lord, and you say well, for so I am. I am teacher and Lord. I am the son of God. That's what he's saying. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to watch, wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. A lot of times when we come to communion, some of us want to skip the feet washing, it's inconvenient. I really don't want to take my shoes off, I have holes in my socks. But this was what Jesus set up, not that somebody need to wash your feet, but so that he could wash your heart. We have battles in our church that we should not have. The battles are in our heart. And contention and strife and anger and jealousy prevent the working of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our own lives. The disciples could not hear the word of God as long as they were fighting. So he says, "Most surely I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you... Know these things. Blessed are you if you do them. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, your kingdom is made up of servants, people who serve, serve others. Your kingdom is made up of those who love. But you give us all that. You give us the ability to serve. You give us the ability to love. It's not a natural desire of our hearts. Father, as we prepare for the taking of your your body, we pray, Lord, that our hearts will be clean and our thoughts will be pure and the soul of our hearts will be receptive to your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to divide, and help me again. The men are going to go to the room to my left. The families are going to go to Bellman Hall. And who's going to go to the kindergarten? The ladies. Yeah, that was left. So let's divide. We'll be back in about uh, 10 minutes or so, Okay.